I really appreciate you being willing to sit down today. Um, your family has done a lot of work to bring community together. And I think that we're always lucky when individuals like yourself and, and your family are willing to put in that type of work and keep it so consistent because it's been going for so long. So, Gerline, would you be willing to uh, give listeners a brief introduction of yourself and then perhaps of your family? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Gerline Mann. Um, I'm one of the five family members that runs Mann Farms in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And um, I'm the second eldest daughter of the Mann family. Um, there's four siblings. And uh, it's myself, um, my older sister, and my two younger brothers. So my sister does not work on the farm. Um, and my two younger brothers uh, and I work on the farm together. Interesting. Can you give us just a lay of the land in terms of the farm, um, all the things that the farm is involved in? Yeah, so we started off as uh, berry farmers, and then we've expanded over the past 40 years uh, into more of a destination tourism farm. So we have uh, still berries. Um, we're at the core. We are berry farmers. And we now have a more of a tourism experience aspect to our business. So we have a petting zoo, a play area. We have uh, a winery. We do a lot of events uh, such as goat yoga. We do um, a haunted corn maze and um, so much more. That's fantastic. Can we start from the beginning then? Uh, your your parents move here. How does that start? How do how do they start moving to set roots here in Abbotsford? Yeah. So um, my dad came here when he was fourteen years old, and him and his parents they um, started by uh, started by buying a, a piece of land and. Um, they started to grow strawberries and then at first they were selling to the uh, canneries and then they decided to start selling to the public. Um, so we had just like a little small shack here, um, on Mackenzie road. It's probably the same size as this room. And, uh, my summers were spent, um, as a little girl, just selling baskets of strawberries on the side of the road. They're like just very small size, small um, baskets. And um, yeah, so uh, we did that for many years. And then in 2005, we decided to um, add the petting zoo. So that mostly it was for many, many years, it was just growing and selling in the summers. And then my parents still had my dad still had a different job. Right. I find that so interesting because at least uh, for people I know, we have no idea what it's like to work on a farm. Uh, yeah. We have no idea what it's like to kind of have a legacy business, one that's being passed on from uh, generation to generation and each person bringing something new to the table, trying to build upon it. And I think that that's so, it's so unique to be able to learn of other people's lived experiences. And, and personally, I find uh, farming families so they have such a different lived experience that it's really admirable to learn about um, a family that's made it work, that's worked together. And like, was that instilled in you, like hard work and, and those types of impacts growing up where it was just normal for you to, I guess, take on these roles of, of selling berries and um, being out there working at a young age? 
Yeah, I think, of course, that has to do with growing up in a family environment, but also my parents are immigrants. So um, I'm first generation Canadian, and it was instilled in me. I was the elder sibling, um, uh, and it was my duty to help my parents. So um of course, like growing up when I was in the moment, I was like 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. You don't want to do it. But then, you know, you see your parents struggling and um, we did struggle for quite a while financially. Um, so it was it was very uh, instilled in me at a young age to just, you know, you got to do what you got to do to help the family. And um, yeah, farming, definitely uh, hard work and farming are go hand in hand. So for sure. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Because I have a close friend and, and his family uh, immigrated here. And for him, it was it was kind of like you said, uh, his father's an electrician, his mother's a nurse, and they just worked all the time. And there's to this day, no real days off. There's always something on the go. There's always a side project that they're willing to go work on. And I don't know. I, I feel like from from the people I know, that culture is missing, that willingness to work hard um, for the sake of working hard, that for the family, for uh, your community, that feeling of uh, responsibility. I don't know. It feels like it's perhaps lacking from people who don't have parents who immigrated here. And I, I always want to encourage people to adopt that mentality of like working hard is worthwhile and, and you're going to benefit. Your children are going to benefit and they're going to learn the value of hard work. So can you tell us more what it was like to to see what your parents and your grandparents were willing to put in? Yeah, so um, it was definitely uh, something that uh, I learned by um, them modeling that behavior and seeing that, you know, that they really were busting their butt um, day in and day, day, like, you know, night and day. And it was very, very, um, uh, one you know, great to see uh, like this is what hard work means. And, you know, I didn't really grow up with my parents um, just like being at home and we were working weekdays and weekends. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, it was really hard. But um, uh, I think now we're reaping the benefits of all of our hard work. So I think the message that I received was more so if you really put your um, work ethic into it and you're consistent. I think consistency is really important. Um, and you really like believe in what you're doing, then you will reap the benefits. And that's really, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, um, they don't really, they don't really understand what hard work really means. And I would agree with that, but um yeah, it definitely wasn't, it was, there was pros and cons because um, it was hard for us as immigrants uh, and immigrant children to, uh, or children of immigrants to not have your parents there. So there were some challenges that we faced as kids because there, our parents really didn't have a choice. Um, they couldn't really afford a babysitter. So um, yeah, there, there just really wasn't a choice to that they had. So that's another thing too, is maybe this generation, there's so many choices and um, the parents before them really did a lot of the work and then they 
either just didn't pass it down to their kids or um, the kids are have a, more of a privilege than their parents did. So um, yeah, for us, like because it's our business, uh, my brothers and my family, we have no choice but to work and uh, we don't look at it like work. We look at it like it's our livelihood, it's our passion and just, I don't know, the days just blend in. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I think it's really valuable because uh, for me, um, I was raised by a single mother. Um, she's born with uh, fetal alcohol syndrome disorder mm-hmm. um, as a consequence of her mother drinking alcohol in the womb. And so I had to grow up at an earlier age. I had to take on household responsibilities earlier on. And it's like a blessing and a curse that part of me during like my teen years, I was a little resentful, a little frustrated that I had to grow up so much earlier. Other people are still playing video games and hanging out and I'm doing the shopping and I'm trying to clean the house and I'm I'm growing up earlier. Um, but now looking back, it's like, well, now I'm perhaps more mature and I'm, I'm able to take on more responsibility. I have more mm-hmm. self-motivation than other people. And that's where I see uh, the people who did have it easier, perhaps less driven, less with a belief that doing hard work is just a good thing that helps you develop. Uh, so I'm interested to understand, like, what was that journey like? And did your perspective shift over time as you got older, perhaps frustration early on, um, and then that that perspective shift? Yeah, so I, um, growing up, I had to work on the farm. So I had a different experience than, per se, my younger brothers. Um, growing up, I you know, I had to do what I had to do to help the family. So I would spend all my summers, um, you know, at the family business, uh, you know, just waking up in the morning and all of my friends were out at Cultus Lake or they were having fun. Um, so, you know, that, that was just my experience. And my brothers also, they were more at home. They were playing video games cause they were younger. So, um, I think after a while, after like after high school, I just really wasn't interested in the farm and our farm wasn't really um, as successful as it was today. It was the profile of our business was a lot different and we weren't really into tourism. So my what I was told was to just, okay, you have to get your degree. And then after I you know, got my degree, I decided to move to uh, downtown Vancouver. So I lived in Yale Town for about five years. And I really wanted to live the city lifestyle because, you know, you kind of run away with, you run away from um, what you're almost like forced to do. And then you know, you, I, I'm just rebellious by nature. So, um, that was kind of something that I was really adamant about that I wanted to get away from the small town lifestyle. So I lived there for a while and I had this pretty cushy corporate job. So I worked in corporate Canada for about five years while I was living out there. But I think, you know, you learn and you grow and I, I when I was living in downtown Vancouver I did a lot of a lot of different things and I really was able to learn more about myself and I went through um a bit of a transformation period and um yeah I think through being out there alone you start to really realize who you are and where you want to be and what you want to do and I think after being in the environment I was and the work I was doing, it just wasn't fulfilling. So as you grow, your desires and your goals uh, change. So 
that's really like what I went through. And, um, you know, before I entered in my thirties, I kind of had more of like a, more of a, um, a, almost like an existential crisis, if you will, where I was like, Hey, I hate my life. I'm done with this lifestyle. And funny enough, I was craving to be at home. So yeah, I, uh, long story short, I decided to pack up my stuff and, um, move back to the farm and I, uh, joined the business again. And yeah, that was like almost five years ago. And now, yeah, I'm back on the farm. So what did you go to school for and what was that experience like? Uh, I went to school in Abbotsford at UFE. So I did, um, my schooling in criminal justice. Um, I wanted to be a police officer for a while and then I wanted to be a lawyer, um, so I ended up just going back and forth into that and yeah, being, going to school was just fine. It wasn't, uh, I was working on the farm, um, uh, while I was in school and then I wasn't and yeah, I was more transitioning out of being at the farm because I needed a break. Yeah. What did you think of, cause I did criminology at UFE as well. Um, what did you think of the experiences you had there? And, um, cause for me, I, I have no interest in criminology or criminal justice, even though I did a whole degree there, but, um, I've had the opportunity to interview Jonathan Haidt, um, right. interview Zena Lee, um, various criminology professors and kind of look back on the experience, um, and the people who kind of gave those different perspectives and helped uh, develop, perhaps not based just on the material, like, oh, now you know these facts, but giving you different worldviews. Um, Mark Lalonde was another person uh, where we had the opportunity to talk about, like, seeing things from a global perspective, seeing things from different uh, vantage points and understanding how complex the world is and how complex problems were. So what was that? Did you gain, gain anything from your degree where you you felt it made a difference? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think, um, it was a, some of the classes I really loved, just like what you're saying. Some of the professors offered a lot of, um, insight and, you know, on, on like criminal, criminal justice system in Canada. And, um, I would say I gained some insight on, on how, um, things are in Canada, but, I was really more interested in learning about the mind and the behavior aspects. So I really enjoyed um, some of my classes with Pluckus, Daryl Pluckus. He did a really good job. Um, so I really gravitated towards the psycho psychological aspect. So I, I really gained that aspect and also learning uh, about organization, organizational behavior. So um, that was really interesting, learning about how, you know, socially um, some of the theories about like crime and, and how society plays a role in, in um in the criminal sort of ecosystem, the criminal justice ecosystem in Canada. So I really enjoyed learning about that. And, and, and I think I might've learned a little bit more about um, the justice system and like um, learning more about like how the rules are in Canada. And um, so I, I ended up getting a job where I was um, working in legislation I wasn't working in legislation, but I was working in litigation, sorry, insurance litigation. And so 
Um, I did have to apply the Supreme Court rules to some of the work that I was doing. So that was really cool. Um, and I think by nature, I'm, I have a pretty rebellious spirit. So it was fun to be in a position where I was like arguing and using a lot of the legislation to build my case. And so that in that way, my degree did um, uh, have some benefit to my work. So I did get, I was fortunate enough to get a job within my degree, but I know many people who've done criminal justice are like, okay, that was uh, a waste of time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was fortunate, but now I don't really, I can't say I directly use my degree, but I, I do use a lot of my um, work experience dealing with some conflict and dealing with a lot of the um, business-related uh I would say political aspects of having a business. So, um, yeah, a lot of my work does, you know, come into play. Yeah. Cause you think about how like so many students go, I got a whole degree and then it's not like, I'm not using it. And it's like, but you are when you're able to communicate effectively, when yeah. you're able to write clearly, when you're able to, um, be persuasive in how you communicate. Like, of course, these... education is still important. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that some people struggle with that because they feel like they were supposed to go check a box eventually. And yeah. if you don't go and get the police job, then you didn't really use the degree. And it's like, it still opens so many doors. And that's why I think they have you take so many different courses throughout your experience right. uh, is because yeah. it kind of expands that. You also talked about how you went to Vancouver and it sounds like you had like good experiences is there, but you ended up wanting to go back. Can you walk us through kind of what that journey was like for you? Um, to Because I hear that a lot. Like a lot of people, when they grow up in a small town, they're like, I need to get out of this small town. Then uh, a few years later, they realize that they want to come home and that that's where they want to be. But they need to go through that, it sounds like, in order to appreciate uh, what that has to offer. So could you uh, walk us through that? Yeah. Um I loved living in Vancouver. I feel like I had a really great lifestyle. I lived in a, I lived in a condo um, on Robson and Homer, so I was like the core of Yaletown, and it was it was a beautiful lifestyle. I loved being able to get dressed up and again, you know, go from being this farm girl to being more glamorous. So I feel like I uh, was able to really um, have the opposite experience and dive in. And then I think um, over time, you know, uh, there's just more, I think I started to realize there's a lot more to life than getting dressed up and going out and partying and drinking and just being um, the superficial stuff. So uh, I think uh, when I started to really work on myself and I started to um, learn more about who I am, reading, doing yoga, um, diving into more of like my past and healing some of the things that, you know, I had to um, endure as a child. So when I started to really um, get into more of a self-reflection um when I started to do more self-reflection and working on myself, I think that's when I started to uncover what my true desires are. And I think going into living downtown, my life was more about, okay, 
um, I just want to have fun and I just want to be glamorous and because that's what you see on TV and that's what people, you know, and shows are doing. So I really wanted to do that. And, and I got to do that, which is such a wonderful privilege, um, that I had, but then I think I got over it after a while and I was like, okay, this is not really fulfilling. Um, you know, I think I was able to check off that box, but then my, my mind was more like, okay, what next? Like, what, what is it really that I want to do? Um, and you often like hear people who appear to have it all on the outside. They sometimes are so unfulfilled inside. So I think that that's kind of the feeling that I was starting to have. And a lot of people would look at me from living my past, like friends and uh, people that I knew like, Oh, it looks like you're living the best life. And I, and like, actually for a while I was really depressed and I was really sad. Um, and just like, I just felt so unfulfilled and raw and just not happy. And yeah. Um, so that, that went on for a little while. And then, um, I think just working on myself and I'm, I'm a very self-aware person and, to a fault. And, um, it's very like important for me to always check in on myself. And so, um, I think that was one of the things that really helped me through figuring out who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. So as I started to uncover a lot of the things that maybe I was holding on to that were maybe more, um, expectations that were set from society. So, you know, growing up as a woman, you're, especially as an Indian woman, you're told, you're given a lot of messages of, okay, you're, after you get your degree, you're supposed to get married and have kids and basically be um, a mom. And, um, you know, so that was like my conditioning as I grew up. And then I think I really went through that existential um, time in my life where I was like, hey, this isn't what I want. What do I want? And that was really difficult because um, I just couldn't, I just, I just couldn't get myself to want what society wanted for me and what my parents wanted. So, uh, but I think after a while, I just came to a point where I was like, you just have to do what you want to do and, you know, life will work itself out. So, um, I think, yeah, just, I came to a point where I was like, I've had it. I need to just go back home and I want to do something in the world that I'm really making a difference and where I feel fulfilled. So when I came back to Abbotsford and started working at uh, at my farm, I decided to do goat yoga because I was really into wellness at the time. I still am. And that was just a beautiful way to join agriculture and wellness together where I felt fulfilled. That's so important because I think that you're right. I think when we look at Instagram, people post the best of themselves. When you post on any social media platform, you're showing the best side of yourself. You're not showing yourself uh, the day after when you're exhausted and you're sitting alone and you're like, oh, was, over. yeah, when you're like, yeah. what was the point of all of that? Now I've spent however much money and I don't feel any more full. Um, that's why I, I started this is because I think that we value certain things 
things, whether it's um, family traditions or whether it's career. You always hear, what do you do? What do you do? And and having that pushed on you as if what you do is more important than who you are and what your values are right. and, and how you see the world and what you're trying to provide of value. And that's why I wanted to uh, talk to you and, and learn more about Man Farms is because you're giving people memories. You're creating experiences that they'll carry on, that they'll show their children, that they'll show their family, that they'll put up in their house and say, like, this is when we got married, or this is when we took you as a kid to this to this park. And uh, like, we were able to uh, do a haunted maze that we were able to make these memories. And I think that we sometimes we take those for granted. We don't recognize the impact that that has on young people, mm-hmm. on families, those special moments. And the when people are willing to do that, like you said, it comes at great personal expense and people are there perhaps during the good times when uh, it's opening day, but they're not there when something's going wrong or when you're facing challenges. Um, It's easy to get on board 40 years in when you've put in all the work and it's a great success, but they weren't there when you were struggling and when um, it sounds like the farm, uh, one of the farmhouses burned down and like you're, you're struggling through those moments and nobody's there. And then they're there when you're winning and when you're successful and when you've got all these different wines and you've got all these options. And I think that it's important for people to understand that there's a whole journey that's taking place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've definitely been through a lot and, um, it's interesting, you know, uh, how the community shows up for you. And, uh, you know, when we were, when we did go through the fire, um, the community actually really did come and show up for us. So we were so blessed. Um, I think the next day we ended up, uh, creating this like makeshift sort of, um, uh, a shack where we were selling our berries similar to what we had when we were when I was growing up and the community really came out to support us so it was very um uh, heartwarming to see everyone show up for you uh but yeah I think that people don't um no one always no one really sees the struggle I think that's what you're trying to say um people only get to see the the shiny Instagram post and the outward experience, but not everyone knows what it takes to do what we do. And, you know, even be, even be beyond having a business, you know, we don't really talk a lot about um, our struggles and, and everyone's personal struggles. That's something that, you know, it's not Instagram worthy to share that. So yeah, no, I, I understand and agree with, with what you're saying. So what was it like to come back? And did were you looking forward to getting involved in the farm? Had you, how did you go about, I guess, pre? how did you go about processing and saying, you know what, I, I think I'm okay with coming back to the farm. I think that I'm open to that idea. What process did you have to go to, to be willing to return? Um, you know, it was very, very difficult because I was so used to having my own space and being in a, um environment where it was so busy and there was just so many things that I could do in any given moment to, to come back to like a farm. It's very much uh, a 180. And yeah, I actually had my um, apartment for maybe a year and a half. And I would live, I would only go to my apartment maybe like once a week. And then 
I would be there once every two weeks. So I have a hard time with change and transitions. So I actually just kept my apartment for a while until I was really ready to let it go. And then I ended up just letting it go. And I think I eased my way into it. I'm, I'm really grateful to have um, very understanding parents. My dad really helped with a lot of the transitioning and he really encouraged me to come back to the farm and really like um, really always affirming that, okay, there is a space here for you. And um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful to my family to be able to accept me back in because I know that that's really difficult. And it, it is really difficult, especially if, you know, a business has been running uh, one way and then someone comes in and um, there's almost like a disruption period. So there was definitely a transitional period uh, for my family and for me. Uh, but I feel like we are just so much better and so much stronger because of it. And I added a lot to the business and I feel like it just really, we all just kind of started to get into this rhythm and it, it's just been great. Can you tell us about that? Because I think that that's so, it's something that's unique. It's something that's um, admirable that you guys try and bring the best of yourselves to the business, that there's this mindset of um, what can you contribute? What are your skill sets and, and where do you see yourself fitting in? And I think that that's perhaps the mistake that regular everyday businesses, when there's just one entrepreneur, that's the mistake they make is that they're, they bring on employees, but their employee doesn't really care about their business. There's no personal investment for them of where do I see myself in this business in 20 years? What are you going to bring to the table that's different? It's like, if you think of like an A&W, it's like, well, you're just going to be uh, charging people. You're just going to having the same thing every day. I don't need you to do anything special. But with your business, you're able to have somebody say like, you're going to do social media and you're going to try and figure out how to do that the best. And then you're going to bring, you brought goat yoga. So can you tell us kind of the iteration since, since you came in and how you guys have developed the business over time and what you've brought in each of you? Yeah. So, um, my brothers were, when my brothers, um, joined the business, they were a little bit older. So, and our business profile was starting to change at that time. So they had started to bring in, um, some unique things. Like my youngest brother started to make wine. Um, it, it was really my dad's and my mom's dreams actually to, uh, a lot of the ideas that you see today, like my mom is one of the founders and the creators of a lot of the ideas. So the winery was my mom and dad's idea. And then they wanted my youngest brother. He didn't want to stay in the business. He didn't because he never really worked in the business growing up and he didn't know what he wanted to do. He has a business and finance degree. So they were like, you should make wine. And he doesn't even really like wine. <laughs> so or he didn't like it, especially back then. Um, so, and my other brother, Amir, he, um, he, he was always interested in the farm. He never really grew up in the farm, but he still was interested and, um, he does more of the farming aspect. So, um, they had started to create some of the things like the haunted corn maze and Amir was more into um, growing uh, growing things and innovating our growing practices and Gaurav started to do the wine. And then when I came back, I started with goat yoga and then I really started to work closely with my mom and um, 
I think I brought in a unique lens because I had gone out and lived somewhere else and I had been working in, I had been working for um, employers like in, in the work field, in the workforce for years. Whereas my brothers really hadn't really had a lot of job experience except being on the farm. So there was that element of just bringing a fresh, fresh set of eyes. And then I think um, because I was able to support and uh, give my mom support, um, my brothers were almost able to focus more on their areas. So I think I um, brought in more structure in that way. And then like just um, the actual things that we brought in, like, you know, a lot of the work that I've done is helping my family, like with the winery, uh, creating new products and, um, creating, you know, new ideas. And then with the overall farm, like just helping with the overall, um, customer experience and creating new products, new food items. Um, so my aspect of the business is I just do everything overall. So I don't really have a niche, uh, but primarily I, I deal with all the customers. So I'm the overall operations person. So I, um, you'll see me, if you come in, you'll see my, me and you'll see my mom, but I have a, a passion for, um, creating things. So a lot of the ice creams, that's my creativity. Um, so like we also have something called a blood bag where we put wine in a blood, in a blood bag. So I like to just do crazy things. Like if I see them, online somewhere I try to find a way to do it and then a lot of the events like we did um world's largest goat yoga so I tried to beat a Guinness world record I applied to it um we didn't win we won I think we won on people but we didn't win on goats or vice versa I don't remember and then um just yeah just so many different things uh, I think I think we also um I kind of went on a tangent, but what your question was is like, how do, what are all the things that we, we have added to it? I think one of the things that really is like the secret sauce to our success is the fact that number one, like we are um, children of immigrants and we do have this like work ethic ingrained inside of us, but also we're, each of us are very like confident um ballsy people we like to take chances and we there's almost like a friendly level of competition there so each of us are trying to like in a way one up the other so there's always this like desire to push the envelope to keep doing better so I think we encourage each other in that way um you know, so that's one of the re reasons for why we're able to create so many unique things is because we're always just like, okay, I want to do this. And, you know, my other brother's like, I want to do this. So, yeah. It's so different than when you think of like the traditional business of one entrepreneur, because that person usually isn't looking to be challenged or to have that friendly competition of what can one of my staff members bring that's better than my idea. Usually when you think of a traditional entrepreneur, it's their idea, it's their vision, and they don't want to stray from it. And so to be able to have multiple people and go, I think I could do this better, or I think I could do that better. And maybe this tops what you did. It's so different than the traditional model of 
of, I have this good idea. It's only my idea. And as long as we keep doing what I think, it's going to be successful. Uh, the other challenge I see other entrepreneurs go through is they're the face of their own business. And so they're they get stuck being in the room dealing with the customer. So they never get to dream or imagine what's step two, what's step three, where can we take this in different directions? Because people start to expect, oh, like I see you here perhaps making bread every day. And so I want to deal with you because you're the one who dealt with me yesterday. And so people are like, oh, where's where's the person who always makes the bread? And then they that person doesn't get to go leave and think of new ideas and start developing in new ways where it sounds like all of you are able to uh, maybe take a breath, think and say, I, I saw this and I think we could bring that to the business. And I think that that, that is a secret sauce to your guys' success is that you're able to spend time developing yourself and then bring that to the business when you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, we all like to almost, um, you know, try to beat the other person in, in what we're doing. But also we are very supportive and we are also a very loving family. And we also fight and but we also um, love each other. And yeah, I, we we really value what all of our employees have to say. Um, I think one of my personal um personal uh uh beliefs is that I like to have um employees that work for me that can contribute to what we have going on. I I I would rather have someone that's smarter than me in a certain area work for me. Like I don't I don't like to do a lot of the uh, technical, financial, administrative stuff. Um, I'm not one with that. Well, you'll never see me on the computer, you know, looking at Excel spreadsheet. I'll look at it, but I won't ever fill it in. So I'm a very creative person. So I would rather hire someone that can, you know, help me with the things that I necessarily don't like to do or I'm not that good at. And I feel like that just uh, create strength. So I have no problem hiring someone that's smarter than me in certain ways. And, and there's no ego. It's more about just, um, creating the team that works and, you know, complement, complement each other and whatnot. Right. Can you tell us about the evolution of the wine? Cause you guys are starting to win a lot of awards. And, mm -hmm. uh, from my understanding, you're looking to take this international now and start to distribute even, even farther out into the community. And, uh, I'm interested to know how did that kind of get started and what was that evolution like over time and and what makes it unique? Yeah, so uh, my youngest brother started the wine uh, um, with my parents. So we are berry farmers, so we wanted to make berry wine, so fruit wine. Um, it really did evolve. Um, it's been a long process because fruit wine hasn't really um Fruit wine doesn't really have a seat at the table in the wine industry. It's starting to uh, become a thing. But um, I was just having a conversation with another farmer last night, and he's a cider maker. And he was saying this, that um, wine is on one end and beer is on the other end. And then cider and fruit wine are kind of in the middle. And uh, fruit wine 
it's it's starting to become a thing, but it's not really there yet. So uh, I think that's been one of our challenges that we've tried to overcome. But I think now people are more uh, willing to try new things, especially with the RTD um, uh, revolution. So ready to drink products like White Claw, and now you can get cocktails in a can. So I think with these unique alternative offerings, the alcohol um, offering and and what you can find in the alcohol industry has changed. So um, we've rev- definitely evolved over time. We made a Pinot Noir and we've done, you know, blends uh, as well, grape, grape wines. But we found that uh, our fruit wine offerings are really what people want. And uh, my brother has gotten better at his craft. And, you know, we've all been working together to really um, find the right flavor profile and the right notes. And uh, so, yeah, um, it, it's been it's been really cool. We've just recently won an award for our raspberry table wine. Um, we've won, I think we won awards for all of our wines for the strawberry rhubarb. Um, we have some, you know, new projects coming as well. And, um, yeah, our our labels are going to change. Actually. I, I actually designed the first label. It's still on our wine bottle right now, but it needs to change. It's been over 10 years. It really needs to change, but yeah, we have brand equity right now with the label. So I'm I think Gaurav and I are thinking that we should um, freshen it up. So though there's some new things coming, but yeah, we just, I think Gaurav's um, be- best trait and why he's successful is his level of consistency. So he's, you know, really grown um, our wine department very much uh, in the past 10 years. We have over 200 wholesale customers and we're in all of Save On Foods in BC. So that's because of his hard work. So, yeah. The wine is absolutely fantastic. I've had the blackberry and the raspberry and I think the raspberry one is just, uh, everybody who I've gotten to try it has just been blown away at how uh, unique, how delicious, how it it just tastes so much more accessible than I think some wine, like some wines you have to, I think, acclimate to, you have to get comfortable with, you have right. to get familiar with that style of flavor. I think that's probably true for many alcohols that you have to, that first time you try it, you kind of get a, but you don't get that with your guys's wine. Like the experience I had with everybody I know was like, this is really good. And it's, mm-hmm. there's not that with scotch, whiskey, stuff like that, you yeah. have to kind of get a flavor for and you have to get used to and develop a build your palate exactly and i didn't find that with your wine and i found that so unique and then there's like a certain pride that it's from the fraser valley there's certain um why would you want to go anywhere else when you know the berries are from right here so can you tell us perhaps a little bit about the process of getting those fruits into wines um and and what that looks like Yeah, so we grow everything that is inside of our bottles. And um, we're really proud to say that there's no added uh, water to our wines. Uh, So that means that there's lots of fruit. So there's actually two pounds of berries per bottle. And um, it does it does take quite a while to make the wine. And um, so we have a, a production uh, manufacturing area in, uh, in on, on site. 
And yeah, it's a very unique process. It's a little bit different than, um, a lot different than making uh, grape wines. And um, it's really fun to experiment with all the different flavors. Sometimes we um, we made a wine called Joven, and that's named after one of my nephews. And that wine has been aged in French and American oak. It's blueberry wine. So that's more of like a vintage reserved wine. So it has a higher price point. And yeah, so it's just been a really interesting proce- uh, process. And um, we're going to be doing some unique things for fall. Um, and we're just really trying to see how we can innovate that. And and we actually have a new product called Belzer. So Belzer is our, um, we released that last year. So Belzer is a, a berry wine seltzer. And um, uh, so Belzer is basically similar to a white cloth, but it's uh, a wine seltzer and it's made with real fruit. So, you know, usually when you drink uh, a nude or you drink white claw, it's uh, the flavor is more artificial. Uh, but um uh, Belter is made with real fruit and it's 7% alcohol. So, and it has like zero sugar. So it's really good. It's really tasty. Wow. I cannot wait to try that. Yeah. You talked about how it's reserved or I'm not a wine. I don't understand what you're saying when you say it's aged, uh, in some sort of condition. How does that, how do you go about, um, bringing that wine to, be wine? What is that process generally? Yeah, I mean, I'm not the winemaker, so I wouldn't be able to give you the full rundown. But, um, you know, you do take the berries and you have to uh, press the berries and then um, it goes through a process of, of uh, putting it into putting it into the uh, big tanks, and then you add the sugar. Um, there's a fermentation process in there, and then basically throughout the fermentation, the um, that means that the sugar is getting dissolved. Um, and yeah, that uh, throughout that process is when uh, the alcohol is being formed, and then um, yeah, then there's definitely like a process where. The winemaker um, decides, okay, what is what? How, what's the sweetness level going to be? You know, how are we going to round out the taste? Uh, what else does this wine need? And yeah, and then you know, there's some finishing touches. Yeah, that's I'm that's, so, that's I'm the best so, way I can explain it. And I'll have to get my brother to give you a better better uh, rundown. Yeah, I'm just so interested to understand that because um, people I find and like this is obviously inevitable, but they take uh, that hard work for granted when they purchase the product. They don't understand all of that background work, and I just I enjoy understanding that process because it gives you just a greater appreciation. Like we talk about the importance of small businesses and the impact it has on the economy, um, and I believe in that. But I think that I don't know why, but it feels like farmers sometimes get left out of the conversation, or winemakers, or um, their their story doesn't get as told as well because we seem to focus on retail, front end stores. Mm-hmm. What's going on right in front of you when you go into the store, that small business owner. But that small business owner is often carrying 
other people's products who are local, who are working behind the scenes. And I just, I imagine what the journey for Gaurav would have been like to start making wine and then have iteration after iteration and, and stay and like think, hmm, how can I make this more delicious? How can I make this more accessible for people? Is it sweet enough? Is it this? And like, there's a whole thought process that most people don't even, they go, this is really good. And then they go about the rest of their life and never really think about the process that people put in to give them that positive experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, as I mentioned, the fruit that we grow is what we use for our berries. And one of my brothers, um, Amir, is the farmer. So, you know, it literally is from the field to the bottle. So people don't We try our best to explain that in our branding and our marketing, but um, not a lot of people really appreciate that. So that's a common thing, I think, in uh, society and in um uh, just the world is farmers always get left out a little bit on the uh, out of the equation. So we're trying our best to raise that awareness and really explain to people this is real fruit. So that's one of the reasons why we decided not to add water to our wine. So it, it does cost us more to uh, produce that bottle. And um, so we're pretty, we try to be um, as honest as we can so people understand. Um, and yes, but I think that that's also one of the reasons why our wine is so good is because you really are getting real fruit and it's not this watered down sort of fake flavor. It's a real, uh, made out of real fruit and 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 yeah, um there's definitely a lot of labor that goes into it, for sure. Is there any feeling that you have or that you get to see your brother have or your parents have when they get to see that in all Save-On foods? That seems like a huge feat for your family to be able to to say that. That's like most people never produce a product, let alone have that produced across all of BC and available to British Columbians uh, like that. That seems like it would be so fulfilling as like an accomplishment, as like a, let's just take a breath and soak that in. You've accomplished so much as a family. Does that, did you guys stop and, and were able to smell the roses at all? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, two years ago when we did, we were able to successfully have them as a client. Um, it it became, it was like a game changer for us. And, you know, we did um, we do try our best to s- stop and really feel grateful and um, feel, you know, happy and um, and and feel that way. But I don't know. I think I don't know. We're always just working and just thinking of the next thing. So yeah, absolutely. When when we were able to get that deal, it was uh, phenomenal, and we were really proud of Gorov and proud of everyone. And it was a wonderful um, accomplishment for us. But you know, we're always just focused on the next thing. So I think that's what you always have to do as a business. Like you always want to be focused on okay, what's next. So we try our best. I mean, we definitely. Um, could do a better job at stopping and really appreciating each other and appreciating our accomplishments. But 
we're just so busy innovating and coming up with the next great idea. Yeah, I just, um, and I've, I apologize for people who've heard this before, but I talk about this idea in Indigenous culture of seven generations. And the idea is that you're supposed to look back seven generations to the people who preceded you, the people, for Indigenous people, it would be the people who survived the 60s scoop, Indian residential schools, colonization, those type of events. Mm-hmm. But when you think of your family, and when I put it into that lens, it's like, uh, it sounds like your mother really wanted wanted this. And so that would have been a momentous occasion for her to have had this vision, um, and perhaps your father as well, but to have this idea of where this was going to go over time and say, like, that that vision, that dream, that hope for your family, it was realized. And not everybody gets that. There's a lot of people who have hopes and dreams for their family, and it never amounts, or their children and them have a fight, and then they don't reconnect, and there's, there's different paths people take. And so for that to come to fruition, I just, I feel like that would mean so much and it's just it's so amazing to hear those stories of um from starting to try and make a wine potentially maybe it'll work to we're winning awards and we're in all these stores like that seems just so uh exciting and and um as a family such an accomplishment yeah no i i I definitely know that my parents are very proud of us and proud of themselves for having this legacy and being able to, you know, uh, accomplish this uh, in their lifetime and for us to be able to be a part of it. And uh, we obviously feel um, as children um, that we're doing our best to make them proud and, you know, their what their vision was when they came to Canada and the role that we've played to make that um, come to life. It's obviously, it's surreal and it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I think it goes back to the fact that um, we do have a passion that's greater than ourselves that we're all working towards. And we have a common goal of um, just, you know, doing the best we can to really um, create those that sense of feeling uh, for our customers through our products and through the things that we do. And yeah, it's definitely a blessing. I think that my parents, um, you know, we, we do feel really blessed and we say this to ourselves all the time that, you know, I get to do what I get to do every day and it's a lot of work. And, but at the same time, I know how, you know, the privilege I have and what I work, what I, what I get to do on a daily basis and the life I get to live. Um, even though we all work so hard to have that, it's still obviously, um, something, you know, you know, there's a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work. So we're very blessed to be able to say this is what we do. That's amazing. Can you tell us about the corn maze and then what was turned into, it sounds like the haunted corn maze. Can you tell us about the iterations that that's gone through? You've, you talked about how you put the wine into blood bags. Could you tell us about how that's developed over the years? Yeah, so um, Amir, my other brother, he and his uh, friends uh, started it. I think, uh, again, my parents were looking for a way to keep my brothers interested in the business. So starting a corn maze is something that other farmers that we know have done. So um, instead of just growing corn and, uh, you know, picking the corn and selling it, we decided to um, grow corn and create an experience. So um, at first it just started off with them uh, wearing like 
pillows, uh, suitcase, or sorry, uh, pillowcases over their head and dressing up as ghosts and um, using like a chainsaw to scare people. But then over the years, um, as we started to become more confident and more successful, uh, we decided to increase our production, uh, where now we have over 100 actors. We have a director. There's, um, you know, a production assistant. We have um, a makeup artist, special effects artist. And so, yeah, uh, we now offer three uh, experiences, three haunts. And it's a full farm experience because, you know, during the evening you get to go through the haunted experiences and you get to get scared. But then you can also try our food. So you can have a double pumpkin spice cream. You can try our wine. So um, uh, a unique way for us to offer the wine was to put it into a blood bag. It has like a straw. So that was really cool. Um, You know, the public really responded well to that. So uh, it's a fun, unique way to have an immersive farm experience. Yeah. Can you tell us about the blood bag? That that just seems like such uh-huh. a wild idea. And I, I can imagine that it would resonate with people because that's so unique. And it seems like everything you're doing complements the other thing that you're doing. And there's overlap between the ideas. And I think that that's where so many people struggle is that they have trouble finding overlap. And um, I like to refer to Jim Pattison as like, he's one of Canadian's billionaires, but what he did really well, um, because he also owns like Save on Foods and he's um, got signs, he's got um, car dealerships, um, radio stations. But what he did is he he crossed them all over. So the signs, market Save on Foods, the radio stations mentioned Save on Foods. And so he found a way to cross pollinate all the ideas and it sounds like that's what the what you're doing with um the these experiences yeah so synergy is definitely important to our business so um in any event that we do we try to include the wine or food or uh the agriculture experience so for goat yoga we also do like um we do goat yoga and wine so um, with the blood bags, it was like a very, um, I'm not sure. I think I just, I think I just had the idea. Like, I, I don't know where I got it from. And, um, I just imagined, you know, how can we create a cool, uh, cocktail offering? So I think having unique cocktail experiences is definitely trending right now. There's some cool spots. Um, I know Ripple's Winery does a really good job, um, at, you know, offering here, they're like in between Chilliwack and Abbotsford. So we always want to stay on trend. So that's something that is important to us. So the, the, the concept behind it was how can we offer the wine in a unique way and, and find an interesting avenue where people are interested and, and they also want to take pictures. So marketing is obviously uh, King right now and in, in finding in uh, finding that really cool Instagram picture and creating that experience for your guests is very important. And so 
um, having the blood bag and having it look fun and interesting and um, basically prompting someone to take a picture is really what um, sold the bags and uh, people really just loved it. I think it's fun to be able to drink wine out of a straw regardless. And and it's like this compact thing. It has a really cool label. Um, and, you know, you can choose whichever wine you want. And so I thought that was, people really responded well to that. That's brilliant. Is that something you enjoy bringing to the table? Because your uh, social media, whoever runs it, is doing a phenomenal job of making every post resonate like really make sense to people um make make them interested and and get them involved and invested and i think that that's a lot of people call themselves social media marketers a lot of people brand themselves as understanding these systems and and saying that they're good at it but there's a difference when every post seems to kind of resonate with people in one way or another so is that something that goes into the the thought process when you're developing those things like how do you uh envision um steps like that yeah i i don't really have a formula in when i create the when i create something um i'm a very like fluid person so for me of course the aesthetics of anything that we do is very important um uh, unfortunately we're all very, we live in a superficial world. Um, so that is something that you have to cater to when you're creating a product. People like nice things. Uh, I think our minds are just wired that way. And also it's fun. It's fun to look at something that's cool and interesting. So, um, when I do create a product, whether it's ice cream or an experience or whether it's like a cocktail or, whatever it is, what product it is, I definitely consider, okay, what is the aesthetics? How is the taste? What are the tastes of this? Um, you know, will people want to take a picture? And really, what is the message that we're sending with this product? Um, I think one of the things that I really enjoy is like understanding the psychological um, uh, reasons behind uh, consumerism and why consumers uh, want what they want and why do they crave what they crave and why do they what makes them keep coming back and I think it all goes back to the feeling that you are able to give so if someone um, tries my ice cream they take and they want they take a picture um, and then they also try it and it's delicious they now have this wonderful association with my product and I think that was the same thing that rang true in the blood bag it was a cool idea they wanted to take a picture and then you know you post it online and then your friends are like responding to you saying oh my god where did you get that where is that so I think there's like that instant gratification aspect you know which is what social media is it's provides you instant gratification so um the blood bag is what really like gave people something to talk about so um and of course the wine is delicious so it would i don't know if it would have been as successful if the wine wasn't good right so um yeah so that really that that's kind of an, an idea of what goes into the creative process and then yeah we do try our best to um create uh curate our social media in a specific way um amir my brother does a lot of the marketing and so do i so we both work together um on that and uh try our best to create beautiful pictures and yeah 
That's so cool. And I, I don't disagree that I feel like um, some people might have the instinct, well, we're putting it into a bag so we can use maybe a lower quality or we don't have to invest in much uh, into this because uh, we're just kind of like it's in this different form. So maybe we don't have to do as much with it. And so the fact that you make the product and the, the quality is there, um, you can lean into that and be confident when you're giving it out that you're proud of that. Um, you've mentioned the ice cream a few times. Can you elaborate? What has that journey been like for you uh, to start developing something and to be able to uh, taste test your products and figure out which ones you enjoy and which ones you think are going to resonate? Yeah. So when we were, um, when I was younger and we had like the roadside stands, um, over the years, we uh, created larger stands. And then to the point where we um, decided to have Birchwood Dairy ice cream. So we did do the hard scoop ice cream for years. So people, our, our customers started to associate us with ice cream. So um, that that started to happen for over the course of um, about 15 years. And then um, I think with Instagram again, and just like my love for creating cool products, uh, we decided to buy a soft serve machine. So um, I just, I don't know. I, I love to do unique things. I love to do things that people aren't doing and I love to like solve the problem. So, you know, um, I, I don't know, I'm not sure like exactly where we came, how we came across this, but I think I saw someone in the UK doing the ice cream, but it was in like a squash, so we grow small pumpkins. So I thought, okay, well, why don't we use the pumpkin as a bowl? So yeah, we we did it. I, I took a couple of pictures and posted online and we had like over a thousand likes and people were just like really responding well to it. Um, but then the product has to taste good. Like I don't like doing half-ass things and I won't like just do something for the likes. I want people to really love it. So I really wanted to uh, create something like the pumpkin spice latte where it's Starbucks, um, you know, people look forward to it every year and it's not even like, so for some, in some people's minds, it's not even fall season, it's pumpkin spice latte season. So I wanted to find a product that would be that iconic where I was able to have people want to look forward to it each year. So yeah, the ice cream is, um, we do, you know, roast our pumpkins uh, and uh, we roast the pumpkins and we put our own special blend of spices in the ice cream and pumpkins are in the ice cream and then it's served inside of a pumpkin and then we make this like amazing ginger snap cookie and then we put whipped cream and so people love it. How many iterations did you go through to uh, get that final product? Did you have to try it multiple? Did you, um, were you involved in saying this is too spicy? This isn't this? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a perfectionist and I'm involved in the all of the small details um, from start to finish. And I think it took us about a month to really figure out what we wanted. Um, I think we we were making ginger molasses cookies uh, already. And then I think I, I, I was like craving something sweet. So I was eating the cookie and then I dipped the cookie into the ice cream and I was like, oh my God, this tastes great. So then we decided to make smaller cookies and then we started to put that on, put them on top as like a little uh, garnish in a way. So yeah, um, I think it took about a month, maybe a month and a half to really uh, give it to the customer. I think at first we were, when we cut up, 
uh, off the top of the pumpkin, we were putting the pumpkin tops on it. So like we were like balancing the top, the pumpkin top and the stem in the ice cream, but it kept falling off. So that was something that didn't work for a while. And then eventually we just settled on our final product. Right. And you also brought in goat yoga. Can you, and it also sounds like yoga had a, a personal impact on you um, in uh, figuring out where you wanted to go. Uh, perhaps there was a mindfulness element of being able to reflect on where you were and how you wanted to proceed in your life. Can you tell us about your journey with yoga and then bringing that um, to the farm? Yeah, so I've been doing yoga for many, many years, um, and it was a way for me to really become centered in myself and um, just be more uh, grounded in my body and um, almost a meditation aspect. So there's always a thousand things going on in everyone's mind at any given moment. And uh, yoga was a way to center myself. And, you know, I really was, um, as I mentioned earlier, I was really struggling with what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And do I, did I want to live in downtown Vancouver? Did I want to live and move back to Abbotsford? Did I want to go somewhere else? So I really had a lot of unknowns and uncertainty in my life. And I think um, being able to do something like yoga was a way to center myself and ground myself so that I could really hear and understand what I wanted and who I wanted to be. So that was my um, journey with yoga. And then um, bringing it to the farm uh, was just like something that was a right fit for me and uh it, it was more authentic to who I am and and you know we have the most beautiful goats so um and, you know having the goats in the class and then we started to serve like our samosas we started to serve our wine and it just became this beautiful synergy um uh of events yeah. Right. And what benefits do you think that others can get out of uh, attending goat yoga? Because I think that it's a good introduction for people who perhaps aren't involved in it. It's a good way to introduce them to the idea in like a really positive way. So can you tell us like what the experience is? Yes. Uh, I don't think that anyone leaves goat yoga not smiling. So it's a beautiful experience. It's like the goats are really fun and goats actually love people and they can become attached to people and uh, really just they're so playful. So uh, when someone comes to goat yoga, they're definitely in for a treat because it's not your typical yoga class. It's more playful. And, you know, I am mindful that it, it is um, straying away from the uh, conventional yoga practices, but um, it's just a beautiful way for people to laugh. I often start the class by asking everyone to just, you know, let go and just let what will ever happen in the next hour happen. And I think the goats are this beautiful distraction um, uh, for whatever's going on in your life. If you're like having a bad day or, you know, you have some things that you're working on, the goat yoga is a great way for you to find that release and find that relief and just be able to play and hug a goat. And, you know, sometimes they pee on, on your mat. So you have like an opportunity to just, I don't know, let go and 
being present in the moment. Did you experience that at all? Because like we live in this world right now where um, most people are in offices or they're at home, they're in the city, they're not involved in going out in nature as much, perhaps not in the farm, not ha- getting their hands ever dirty, not interacting with nature as much, goats included. Um, and so um, I saw recently that like doctors are now able to start prescribing people to like go to parks and go outdoors and you're able to get a parks pass from your doctor to try and get you to go back outside and it seems so wild to me that like you need to be prescribed that the people disconnect so much from nature from the environment um that they need to be prescribed or reminded to go out in nature and and disconnect from these devices, social media, uh, TV, the news, whatever it is, that they need to be reminded to do that. So um, you were in the city for a while and then you came back. Did you notice any benefits of just reconnecting with the farm, being able to interact with goats? And what do you see when people are able to start to interact with these animals? Yeah, definitely. I think um, when I was going through the transition period of living in my apartment versus being uh, at the farm, there was definitely uh, moments where I was present to the fact that I felt so much more myself being uh, in nature and being on the farm because it is a slower lifestyle. It's not so busy. There's not so much, it's not very loud and there's not all these temptations to, you know, want to drink or go out or be, you know, I don't know. So being on the farm and being in that sort of uh, natural habitat, if you will. It's a beautiful thing and it really helped me in discovering what I wanted to do and what I, who I am. So I think when uh, we, a lot of our customers uh, that come for goat yoga are from Vancouver and I think it makes sense because they're so disconnected from um, the, from nature and uh, oftentimes a lot of these wellness um, wellness businesses, their target audience is uh, people that live in high rises or that live in the city because those people are the ones that are desperately looking for a release or they're looking for an experience that will help them just take a breath and just take a time out. So yeah, definitely. Interesting. And the the other area is weddings and having people make memories and having people commit themselves to each other on a farm. And I think that that is hopefully the direction we move more in, in terms of being more connected to nature, outdoors, the environment, um, and being proud of where we, we make those commitments and be happy with the environment that we're in. Um, and so can you tell us what, what that journey was like? You said it was, it's been about 10 years now. Yeah. So we started the weddings, uh, in 2013 and we've definitely learned a lot. Um, we do offer outdoor weddings and we also have an indoor offering as well. So it's more of an indoor outdoor, um, venue and we have a hundred year old barn that we offer receptions in. So it's beautiful. And then we also are known for our Mount, Mount Baker ceremony site. So we have, um, uh, a site at the back of our, one of our properties that overlooks Mount Baker. So 
it's really beautiful and um, it's stunning actually. And uh, customers are able to, or our clients are able to just be, you know, outside when they have their ceremony and then they can come back to the barn reception area and be in this beautiful, gorgeous, rustic barn where they're able to have dinner and, you know, there's um, a dance floor there and yeah, it's pretty cool. The wedding industry I always hear is a really tough industry because there's a lot of planning in advance. Um, there's a lot of people were negatively impacted by COVID as a mm-hmm. consequence of it. What was uh, the experience you guys went through? Yeah, uh, along with a lot of the other wedding venues, it was a very um, difficult time for us, uh, especially before our our couples that uh, had booked their dates in 2020. So some of them are actually finally getting married in 2022 uh, because in 2021, the restrictions were still uh, tight. So uh, it was very difficult, but I think it was a learning and growing experience. I know for a lot of other venues, um, it was a way for them to really create a solid contract. Um, so that's more specific to, you know, as a business, how, the changes that we made. But it also was a growing experience because you, you know, whatever, um, the difficult times is what makes you stronger, right? So, um, yeah, it it was tough. It was really tough. We had to postpone a lot of our weddings, just like many other uh, venues. And that was, those were, uh, it was, we had a lot of difficult conversations that we had to have with our couples. Um, but most, mostly everyone understood that, you know, we're all in this together and, you know, they were, they were uh, at a disadvantage, but so were we. So yeah, so I, I'm, sounds like things are on the up and we're transitioning out of a pandemic. I mean, you know, um, fingers crossed, but that's what what I'm feeling. So hopefully things will get better. Right. And the other thing you recently went through was um, the the floods impacted, it sounds like, half of your pumpkins. Um, was that a challenge? Was that just adaptation? Uh, what did you guys go through in, in terms of the floods? So uh, the floods actually didn't impact uh, our pumpkins. The flood, uh, we were fortunate to be where our property is located on a hill. So the floods didn't actually impact us, but the rain is what impacted our pumpkins. So we did have a lot of rotting. So last fall, um, there was a lot of rain, a lot of precipitation, and that really affected our our pumpkin crop. So we did have a lot of rotting in our pumpkin patch, and that was really unfortunate. So, you know, those are the things that farmers go through. Farmers cannot predict the weather, and we don't control the weather. But the weather is always the mother nature is the one that decides how farming is going to go. So we tried our best. You know, there's you can't really spray for for weather and for wetness. So there's not really there wasn't really anything we could do. Right. And through over the years, you faced various challenges, the fire that took place, uh, COVID, um, the pumpkins. How do you approach this as a family? Do you have meetings where you guys get on the same page about things? Um, in an article with uh, the Fraser Valley, I think that that's their full name. Um, yeah. They talk... They talked about how during the fire, you guys came together as a family and really tried to work together. And it was a, a strengthening moment. Can you tell us about how you approach those challenges? Yeah, um, I think that we 
uh, are really a strong unit as a family, even though we fight just like any other family has, you know, drama and there's always um, conflict and egos and all of that. But I think the true thing that keeps us um, so strong is the love that we have uh, for one another and the, um, the, the desire to always be um be uh, strong and continue uh, going, continue to keep going. So when we had the fire, it was obviously very sad for us. I think there's like footage of um, the family crying uh, on, on TV. So it was really sad. It was a really sad and hard time. But I think for us, our attitude is really what helps us get through all of these tough moments of just, you know, you have to, um, you have to just, accept what has happened and you have to to focus on what you can do about it and how you choose to respond I mean there is definitely a time and place to grieve and feel sad and really process your emotions that's equally as important but you also can't stay there so that's really what's been taught to us uh, at a young age is you know what can you do about this like what is how are you going to respond um so yeah, I think our attitude has a lot to do with it. That's fantastic. Can you tell us about what you admire about uh, your siblings, um, what they bring to the table in terms of the business? Um, from your perspective, what what do you see? Yeah, so um, uh, my siblings, you know, we've come a long way. When I first came back into the business, there was a lot of uh, conflict because, um, you know, where we were also younger and there's, you know, still, um, there was still a process of us figuring out who we were and what our role is in the farm and what our areas are. Uh, but I think now we've come to a place where we have mutual respect and admiration. And I, you know, I always, I really love, um, and respect both of my brothers, um, and just, I respect their creativity and their willingness to always be there when we need each other. And I think that that's such a beautiful um, thing. And, you know, I know that if I need them, they'll be there for me. And, um, you know, we, we try to make promises to each other that no matter what, we'll have our ba- each other's backs. And, um, yeah, I think, um, it's just a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful partnership and it's very unique. I know that not a lot of people can work with their families and, you know, we do definitely try to carve out our alone time and have those boundaries in place. But yeah, like, I think we're finally at a place where we're able to see and appreciate uh, each other's differences and see that they really make us stronger. And my one brother is, um, he's really creative and innovative and him and I are very similar. So we tend to fight more, but but I think that we are finally at a place where we're able to see, okay, so, you know, we complement each other in this way and these are our strengths. And then my other brother, he's a little bit more quiet and reserved, but he's more, um, you know, uh, stronger in the financial aspects and he's very consistent and he's more, he has more of a quieter confidence. And so he is definitely a pillar of strength in his own ways. So I think all of 
us round each other out in that way. And then my older sister, even though she's not part of the business, she often acts as like our counselor. <laughs> she She's the tiebreaker. She's the voice of reason and she supports us. And um, yeah, and then my two brothers, one of my brothers is married and the other one is uh, about to be married. So yeah, their, their wives, my sister-in-laws add a lot to, um, yeah, they... They're not part of the farm, but um, they round out our family as well. And it's, you know, it's been pretty cool. That is so interesting just to learn about. Um, what has the response been from your parents? Because it sounds like they've been in the business for a really, really long time and been working hard so long to to bring all of this about. And it sounds like uh, you're, you're just thriving now. Uh, so what has that journey been like for them? And what have you kind of, what have those conversations, I guess, looked like? Uh, conversations to do with like where that, we're that, going. That or... development, yeah, uh, where you guys are heading. Yeah, um, I think we uh, we try to have uh, Tuesday meetings. So we do have conversations and meetings uh, almost every week. And that's a family meeting, but it's also a business meeting. So we try to stay on the same page um, and discuss any, you know, um, concerns or, you know, what's the next event, how we're going to set up for that. And um, we do try to come up with like five-year plans and where we want to go. I feel like we should do it more. <laughs> but um, yeah, we do look into the future and uh, try to have strategic conversations about you know, where do we see each other in the next few years and who would who do we want to be in the next few years and what what do we want our business to look like and how do we want to spend our time so how you spend your time in your life is how you create things and what you create so yeah that's fantastic i really appreciate you being willing to come all the way out here i know you had lots of wedding stuff to work on um, because I think it's so important for us to understand the background of what's taking place, of the effort that it takes to bring about a really meaningful business that I think gives people memories that they can be proud of for the long term. I think of, uh, I had the opportunity to interview Brian Minter, who runs Minter Country Gardens here in Chilliwack, and he's dedicated his life to trying to create a tourism hotspot for Chilliwack. And when I think of the impact that Man Farms likely has on so many people every year and the sense of culture that it creates, I think we underestimate how important that is. I don't think we recognize the impact that experiences like Cultus Lake or Man Farms give us each year. And they, they're the things you look forward to. Even when you think of um, holidays, you think of these events that, that really ground you, that make the hard work at your job worthwhile. And I'm always grateful to be able to learn about the experiences and the journey that people put in to share that with other people. And I really appreciate you being willing to take the time uh, to share this with other people. And um, it, it really is like an inspiring story for other people to be able to hear about. Yeah, no, thank you so much for saying that. Um, yeah, we're, as I mentioned before, we're really blessed to be able to do what we do. And um, the core of our business is to create those lasting memories. And uh, one of our core values as a business is to create magical memories. And um, I truly believe that uh, one of our primal 
primal needs as a human is belonging and connection. And if we're able to cultivate that connection between families and friends and just one another at our farm, it's a really beautiful thing. And we love that we're able to do that through our products and our offerings. And yeah, I, I mean, we it's it's pretty fun. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is, it's just so um, motivating. And I think there's a lot in terms of having a more business mindset that people can get out of what you've said here today, because a lot of people don't think entrepreneurial. And it sounds like um, you and your brother have that bug of like, how can we make this amazing? How can we make this great? And I think that you should bring that to whatever you're doing, whether you're stuck at Save On Foods serving people every day, how can you make that more meaningful? How can you try and maximize your own experience to get the most out of it? Because I think that there's so much to learn from other people. And when you when people do better, when they have memorable experiences, they do better. I think they do their job better, whether they're working as a tax lawyer or whether they're doing a boring job. When they have something to fill their heart, when they've seen their kid has had a good experience, that allows them to go forward, hopefully in a better direction, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's everyone's job each day to cultivate a sense of joy or find something that makes them feel happy. And I think, you know, we might not love what we do. So I know there's lots of people that have jobs that they don't love, but you know, you still can find that sense of joy in other experiences. So, I mean, if we're able to be that experience for people, that's a pretty special thing. And um, we love that we're able to do that. And yeah. Can you tell people how they can find you on social media about your website and um, how they can get connected? Yeah, so we're on Instagram at Man Farms, so M-A-A-N, and our website is www.manfarms.com, and we also have a few other Instagram accounts, so whatever you're into, we have a winery specific, so Man Farms Estate Winery, and then we also have a weddings, Man Farms Weddings, so mostly Man Farms is the one that people follow on Instagram, and we're also on TikTok. Awesome. Well, please go check them out. Uh, try their wine. Um, when are you guys gearing up uh, for the summer and for the fall? What does that look like? Uh, we are actually, our first event is Easter. So we are doing an event called Bunnies and Booze. It's an adult Easter egg hunt. And then we're also doing an event um, called Baby Animal Easter. And it's called Bay Days uh, at Man Farm. So that's going to be happening uh, on Easter weekend. Can you tell us a bit, Can you tell us a little bit about those? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So Bunnies and Booze is an adult Easter egg hunt with food and drinks. So we will hide some eggs and and um, I'm working on something special. I'm not able to talk about it, but it's more um, of a booze-related hunt. Uh, when is this airing? Uh, probably in a couple weeks here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so by the time by that time, I probably will have released it. So I'm going to be hiding wine around our farm. So you'll be able to find the wine. Um, you're almost hunting for wine bottles and uh, like Belzer cans. So that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is you find eggs and then you can win prizes as an adult. And then you can have ice cream. We have a really special Easter ice cream that we make inside of a chocolate egg. So it's like uh, a shelled out egg and then there'll be ice cream in it. And then um, 
the adult or the children egg hunt is the following weekend on Easter weekend. And we will have lots of baby animals and you'll get to sit down and hold the baby animals in your hand. And then you can play in our barnyard adventure line. So we have a zip line, a jumping pillow, um, lots of fun adventure, farm adventure activities. So there'll be Easter bunny, there'll be a prize. So that'll be fun for for the kids. Amazing. And then when does um, the fall start ramping up? So after Easter is berry season and then after the summer uh, will be fall. So September, end of September, October is fall. Amazing. And so um, in the berry season, do you do anything for the wines? Is there any events going on over the summer? Yeah, so we will be doing a lot of wine events. Um, we might be doing like a long table dinner uh, now that the restrictions have lifted for COVID. So we're hopefully we'll be doing a lot more events. Um, the wine events are more just to do with um, everything else. Like so we'll be doing picnics. Um, so like picnics in the petals. And that has a lot to do with the wine and the food that we offer. And then you'll get to come out and enjoy a beautiful picnic on the farm. This is amazing. Thank you so much, Gerlene, for being willing to take the time. I've learned a lot and I'm very excited to see where you take this. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.